Welcome to Oaks Church, where we grow great lives and build big people. Thank you for checking out our podcast. We hope that you're encouraged by this life-changing message from Pastor Joel Scribner. For more information, visit us online at oakschurch.com or follow us on social media at Oaks Church Texas. Awesome. Well, we're kicking off a brand new season in a series, and the name of this new series is Defining Moments. We're moving into the Easter season just a few weeks away, and then from there, we'll move into the next phase, which is the Pentecost season. These are two of the biggest holidays in our Christian faith, the, the holiday that we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the holiday that we celebrate the outpouring of the Holy Spirit so that the Spirit of God would actually come and live inside of us as the temple of God. These are massive celebrations inside of our Christian faith. And the Lord has given us a roadmap to take you on a spiritual journey. So you're gonna wanna be a part of each and every week as much as you can. If you do happen to miss make sure that you subscribe to our podcast. Uh, You can share that as well. It's an audio podcast. If you are on the website, oakschurch.com, You can uh, go there. There's a link to subscribe to the podcast there um, on the media button. But you can also just on your phone, go to your podcast app and you can uh, subscribe to the podcast. It's Oaks Church Texas. And you can get all of our messages on there. You can share them with your friends. A really great way to make sure that you stay in the loop and uh, great things coming on. But Defining Moments is a series where we're going to walk through specific key moments in the life of Jesus that defined who he was as the son of God and as as a man and as God in, in, in man's flesh, but also who he is to us and what it means to us. Uh, each and every one of us, we have different moments in our life that were defining moments for us, right? You may have memories from your childhood of when you uh, first were willing to step out and do something uh, that was gutsy or that stretched you out of your comfort zones. Um, I think of a time specifically a defining moment for me uh, as, an, as an athlete was the first time I got really hurt in competition and I had to make the decision, am I going to quit or am I going to suck it up and go out there and play to win? Because champions play hurt. You guys understand that, right? And there's no such thing as a champion that doesn't take licks. There's no such thing as a champion in life in any area that doesn't go through uh, ups and downs, right? Thomas Edison said, I've never failed once. I just learned 10,000 ways it didn't work right? So, so we have a lot of different things in life that we go through, but, but being willing to step up and really gut it out and push forward is something that is a defining moment in a lot of our lives. A defining moment in my life as a young adult was a decision that I was going to truly live for God and I was going to really give myself to him at the age of 17. It came after the lowest point in my life where I got to get handcuffed and go to jail at two o'clock in the morning and it helped me to wake up a little bit. You guys didn't know that about me? gangster, y'all. You didn't know. I'm just playing. Just playing. No, but it was a wake-up call for me that I was looking at my life, and I was a good kid from a great family. I had no excuses, but I had some hurts in my life, and I was lashing out, but it was a defining moment for me to say, I'm going to be a godly man. I'm not going to throw my life away like so many of my other friends were doing. It was a defining moment in my life when I stepped out uh, from, and it launched my first business for the first time, and I had investors come in. I was 19 years of age, and my business exploded, and I never looked back uh, from the, the path that I was on at that point in time. I want to encourage you guys. There are moments in each of our lives that are defining moments that set us apart, but there are also moments in our lives spiritually that are defining moments that move us on a journey that are watershed or watermark moments that move us forward, and we are in one of those places right now at Oaks Church. This is a defining 
defining moment for us to be uh, willing to step out. It was a defining moment to be able to step out and do this. The people that joined us and linked arms and said, we can do this, Joel. Let's, you're not alone. That, that was a defining moment that changed the course of history for people's entire families. There's no telling what's going to happen inside of your families, inside of your lives, inside of your friends because of the connection that you have to the people of God in this place. It's a defining moment to make a big shift, to make a big move. I want to take you to a place in scripture and I'm going to read you a very short passage. It's five verses, but it's got a tremendous amount of content. This is Mark chapter one, verse nine. The first defining moment we want to look at in Jesus's life is the moment of his baptism. Mark chapter one, verse nine. It came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan and immediately coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the spirit descending upon him like a dove. Then a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son and whom I am well pleased. Immediately the spirit drove him into the wilderness and he was there in the wilderness 40 days tempted by Satan and was with the wild beasts and the angels ministered to him. This is five short verses that you could quickly and easily read through and be like, yeah, 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 I've heard that before, I've read that before, but you have significant things that happen inside of this passage. Number one, Jesus was water baptized. I'm gonna to get to that in just a second because that in itself is very unique, that the Son of God who has no sin would be water baptized. Number two, that heaven actually opened and it was visible that heaven had, had, had opened and had separated. Number three, that the Holy Spirit was visibly seen descending upon Jesus. Number four, that the voice of God was audibly heard. Number five, that Jesus was then driven by the Holy Spirit. It literally, the, the original language, it means to be cast out, to be expelled. The Holy Spirit then drove him out of his place into the wilderness. Then he was tempted by Satan personally. That's a big deal. None of you have had Satan at your house. You thought you did when your kid acted that way, but that wasn't actually Satan. That was just a little bitty junior demon, right? Jesus dealt with the OG demon, Satan, right? He dealt with the real deal. And finally, he had angels come and minister to him. This is a monumental, defining moment in the life of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to dive a little deeper into this and read you another version from the book of Matthew that will open up some specific things and give you the insight on the conversation that happened between John the Baptist and Jesus, who were cousins. Now, there's a lot of debate on this, whether they knew each other or not. It would make sense in our modern age to think if they're cousins, uh, certainly they have family reunions, they do kosher fish fries, I don't know. There's something going on. They have to have known each other, but there's only one reference in scripture that says, John actually said, I did not know him, but a lot of theologians disagree. They're not sure what that meant. You didn't know that he was the Messiah or you didn't know your cousin at all. We don't know. But what we do know is that these two individuals, the greatest, according to Jesus, the greatest prophet of the entire Old Testament is John the Baptist. The greatest prophet of the entire Old Testament. That God would set it up that two, two cousins would be born in the same family lineage one of them would have the, 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 the high priest as his father, Zacharias. The other would have the living God as his father, Jesus Christ. And you see this picture of two people growing up and not having a whole lot of interaction, but their entire lives were interconnected. And the whole thing was about opening heaven for you. Watch the story. 
This is Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. John is speaking. He says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. Water baptism is about repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his, his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him, and John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, you're the one I've been talking about. Your baptism is better than mine. Your baptism is greater than mine. I'm only helping people repent. You're going to bring the Holy Spirit into people to live inside of them. And John the Baptist tried to keep Jesus from doing something that he was instructed and very clearly on path to do. But Jesus spoke up. He says, permit it to be so now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he allowed him, and when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. Say that. Heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him, and suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. This is an amazing story, a beautiful story of Jesus's obedience. See, I mentioned just a moment earlier that Jesus, as the Son of God, the Bible is very clear that Jesus had no sin. He never sinned according to the Jewish law. He followed every single principle inside of the Jewish law, and in him there was no sin. Therefore, there was no reason to repent. And there was no reason to be baptized. John said, my baptism is about repentance. Jesus did not have any need for that. So it seems like this, is this just formality? Was Jesus just being a good example? Was Jesus, you know, showing us this is our way? There's a lot of different debates on that. I have a specific belief that is hopefully something that will help you uh, answer some questions of your own. Jesus in other passages in John chapter 8 and John chapter 12 is quoted saying, I only say what my father tells me to say. I only do what my father tells me to do or what I see my father doing or he gives me instruction to do. Jesus literally, in that same passage in John 12, he says, if you have seen me, then you have seen the Father. I am the representation of the Father to you. That's a massive statement. Listen, if I could just follow that one thing, I only say what the Father tells me to say, I would get in so much less trouble, wouldn't I? How about you? Would you, would you get in less trouble if you just said what God told you to say? How many times do we say things and as we're saying them, we're trying to get them back into our mouths? Yeah. Anybody ever text something and hit send before you should have? Oh, Jesus, help us, right? Then it's, in, then it's legal, right? Then it's in writing. I mean, this happens all the time. Jesus literally said, I only do what my father shows me to do. I only say what he tells me, what he tells me to say. So with just that simple illustration, it only makes sense that the reason Jesus showed up in the wilderness, at the Jordan, to be baptized by John was because God told him to. Period. God spoke, the Father spoke to Jesus, go out and meet your cousin John and baptize him. 
We don't know if Jesus knew what was going to happen. We don't know what the fa- if the Father had given him full understanding of what was about to go down. But what we do know is that this was the defining moment in Jesus' life where he went from being a human being that operated fully as a human being. There is nowhere in Scripture before this moment that Jesus did any miraculous work. I know there's weird little books out there that you can hear stories of Jesus touching a, a bird and it coming to life when he was a little boy and all these little, there's no proof of any of that, right? Okay, these are cute stories. This is the first moment where all of a sudden Jesus goes from being a fantastic, amazing human, God in the flesh, to actually having the spirit of the living God fill him all the way up. It literally says of him in scripture that the fullness of the Godhead dwelt in him in bodily form. That is massive. All of God lived in Jesus's bodily form from this moment on. Massive defining moment. So Jesus shows up And the only explanation for why he would be water baptized is that simply he was instructed to by his heavenly father and he obeyed. Can I submit something to you today for your consideration? That obedience is what opens heaven. Obedience opens heaven. Jesus obeyed and heaven opened. Jesus obeyed and heaven opened. Jesus said we must do this to fulfill righteousness, but he was already righteous. But the right standing, think about this, righteousness is way bigger than your behavior. Righteousness is the state of being in right standing with God. That's what righteousness is. It's a state of being. So Jesus said, I must fulfill all righteousness. And what happened was God's state invaded his state And he was then filled with the entirety of the Godhead in his human body in that moment. I must do this. I must obey God. Because when I obey God, righteousness is fulfilled. Heaven is open. Can I ask you a question? What is God saying to you? Not just what the Bible says. Listen, that's a fantastic place to start. Every one of us should obey the Bible. Please obey the Bible. The world will be a better place. Your marriage will be a better marriage. Your children will be better children. Your work will be better work. Obey the Bible. But the Bible, can I, can I submit something to you? The Bible, is, the Bible is a cross section of what God has said. There's a lot of people that get worked up about that because of a doctrine or teaching that it's the cessation of gifts and that the Bible is everything God says and everything he will say, let me help you with something. If that's the case, then you no longer have a living, breathing relationship with the creator. If the only thing you can experience is what he said 2,000 plus years ago, then there's no relationship there. That's, that's notes. You're reading notes from a previous relationship. The relationship that you can have, the Bible is your basis, the Bible is your lifeline, the Bible is your litmus test, and it's a springboard off into truly, deeply knowing who the creator of the universe is. You can have encounters, interactions with the living God that are so incredible, so amazing. You can have heaven opened in your life, direct access to the creator of the universe. That's what Jesus died for. He died to restore the intimacy that man once had with God in the Garden of Eden, that God walked with man on a daily basis multiple times a day and interacted. That's what God desires from you. He does not desire a stale relationship where you read just a book and obey simple rules and don't have any conversation. He wants conversation with you. He wants you to know him, 
right? And this idea that I'm mentioning to you about obeying what God is saying to your spirit and then stepping out and watching heaven open in your life is absolutely true. It fits completely with what we've taught these last few weeks from John chapter 15, where Jesus said, if my rhema words abide in you, you can ask me for anything and I will do them. The rhema word of God is the spoken word of God, what he's saying right now, what he's uttering out of his mouth right now. And you can develop a relationship with him that you hear that type of language. Now, it's not necessarily audible. I, I've only heard something that was audible to me one time in my life, and it freaked me out so bad I literally turned around. I felt my, the hairs inside of my ear move. Weird. Very strange. It's happened one time in my life. When I hear God, I hear him in my heart. I hear a voice coming from my heart that supersedes the voice I hear in my brain. It sounds like my voice speaking to me, but it's him saying things that I wouldn't say, giving me answers that I don't have. You can develop a relationship with him that goes beyond just reading about him. You can know him. Amen? Amen? You can know him. Obedience opens heaven. Listen, obedience is a trigger that releases all of God's best. Obedience is a trigger that releases all of God's best in your life. This is a major defining moment, and I want you to see that this moment is followed instantly with an attack from, from Satan himself. Come on. The, the enemy does not want you having these types of defining moments with your heavenly father, where God speaks to you and affirms you and shows you who you are and gives, come on, when God speaks to you as a father and shows you who you are, See, see, I, it was those type of moments where God spoke to me that gave me the courage to step out and do what we're doing right here. God saying, this is who you are, and this is what I've called you to do, and this is where I've called you to do it. See, we all have to make a decision. We have to come to a place in our lives. Are we going to obey what the Father is saying to us, or are we going to obey what other people are saying to us? And if that comes to a place of decision, it's an easy decision for me. Amen? For us to obey the voice of God in our lives and step into the favor in the open heavens that he has for us. But the very first thing that happens is that Jesus goes toe-to-toe with Satan. And what's interesting is it says in two different passages, one passage says that the Holy Spirit drove him out. Like, that's aggressive. And the other passage says he was led out by the Holy Spirit. Maybe it's somewhere in the middle. I don't know. But both of those are pictures in scripture of Jesus being forced out in the wilderness, 40 days of fasting, and then Satan shows up when he's at his weakest point and begins to tempt him over and over and over again. And what did he tempt him with? Do you remember? If you are the son of God, the exact opposite of what God had just spoken to him 40 days earlier at his baptism. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Look, Satan seeks to redefine you. He wants to redefine you. I've never, and and maybe there are different ones of us that have lived in in different generations of time. I've never seen in my own personal life, my own personal experience, such an incredible attack from the enemy of trying to label people according to the flesh. Label people according to the temporary. Label people according to the color of their skin, the gender, their sexuality. 
label after label after label after label. They're political affiliations. Everything's about labels. Everything's about some, somebody saying something over you to try to define who you are. It's the attack of the enemy. If the enemy can convince you that you are your sexuality, if he can convince you that you are the color of your skin, if he can convince you that you are your gender, and that's your highest form, if he can convince you that you are your social status or your personal accomplishment, something that's temporary, something that's, that's, that's shaky could change. Listen, in heaven, your sexuality doesn't matter. In fact, according to a lot of the people that I've talked to that are older than me, it stops mattering at certain times before you get there. I don't know. I've just heard. I've heard tell. I don't know. I had an 82-year-old man say, come here and hug me. I hug everybody. I can't, I can, that's all I can do nowadays is just hug. Right? Don't worry. Don't be, don't be afraid. I just, I'm just a hugger. Oh, praise Jesus. Can we edit that out? Nope. All right. Good, good, good. <laughs> if, if, it can, if he can convince us that the color of your skin is the most important part of your identity, guys, none of that matters in eternity. None of that matters in eternity. That doesn't mean that there's, that, that there's not part of us and our experience and all of those things are important. But listen, the, the, the bedrock of our identity is that we are sons and daughters of God. And that's who we are for eternity. Satan wants to redefine you. He wants to come against your actual identity and convince you that you are a lower form and get you distracted living to defend your offended identity because someone else doesn't call you this or doesn't see that in you and doesn't appreciate this and doesn't know about your suffering or your sacrifice or whatever. And you get offended and you get stuck in a lower identity and he can keep you from ever stepping in to who you truly are. He wants to redefine you. Matthew chapter 4, verse 10, Jesus spoke up. He said, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only will you serve. And the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. When we resist the enemy, Scripture says he flees from us. He flees from us. I'm going to give you the second thing that the enemy wants to use to redefine you. Temptation is the devil's tool. Everything he did to Jesus was based on temptation. You're hungry. How about you try and turn these rocks into bread? You, you, if you really are the son of God, you're all powerful. Why don't you prove it? Let's check your pride. Why don't you step up here and, and jump off this building and the angels will catch you. If, you're, if you really are the son of God, you know, uh, you know, bow down before me and I'll give you all of the nations, everything you see. All of the, so all of these different tests that Jesus had to pass. The beautiful thing to me, what I'm so grateful for is the very first work of Jesus. The very first work he did full of the power of the Holy Spirit was go out and beat temptation for us. He defeated the tempter for us. That is the mo that's the first work of the anointed Messiah is that he defeated temptation. The Bible says there is no temptation that's uncommon to man. Jesus went through every temptation. He was a man. He was God in man flesh. But he went through every single temptation so that he could relate to you. Amen? And he beat the tempter first and foremost. Why does the enemy use temptation? Think about this. This is the very first, the first trick 
that Satan ever used in the Garden of Eden was with Adam and Eve. Did God really say, why don't you, he's just trying to keep you from the good stuff. Why don't you take, eat this fruit and you can know everything that God knows. It was a temptation and it was aimed to attack their identity as sons and daughters of God and redefine them and get them to fall into his own trap. Satan himself, according to scripture, wanted to be equal with God. And so that was the temptation. If you eat this fruit, you'll be equal with God. He was seeking to redefine them and temptation was his tool. But Jesus defeated temptation for us. Why, why does Satan want to use temptation to lure us into a trap? This is why. Number one, there's two reasons I'll give you today. Hopefully by the time I get to the second one, I remember it. But the first one is this. Hopefully I remember the first one by the time I get to the first one. The first one is this. Now I don't remember. I'm just kidding. If he can get you caught up in focusing on what you do and thinking that what you do is who you are, he can get you completely off track. Satan wants you completely caught up in sin, looking at your own behaviors, so ashamed. Adam and Eve, the verse before they met Satan, the verse before they met Satan, it says that Adam and his wife were in the garden and they were naked and unashamed. And then they go through an experience with Satan and they find, the next time God finds them, they've covered themselves with leaves and they're ashamed. They went from no shame to hiding and ashamed. The enemy wants you living in a place where your, sin is, your sins are defining moments. And he can keep you in a place of shame where you have no confidence to step out and be who God's called you to be. But listen, you are not your sin. You are not your sin. This is really good news. Did you know that Jesus doesn't go die again for your future sins? He already took care of them. Jesus paid for your future sins in the past. The sins that you will sin 15 years from now are already forgiven. There's a key component that you must connect to, and that's called repentance. But I want to break it to you. You're going to need grace for the rest of your life. None of you are going to get to the place where you're just so darn holy you never blow it. You're going to need grace for the rest of your life. Now you'll get better and better and better in things that used to cause you to stumble, certain temptations that used to trip you up. Don't trip you up anymore. But that doesn't mean you're no longer human. And as long as you're human, you need grace to get to heaven. And when you're in heaven, you don't need any more grace. You're there. And you won't have sin. There's no sin in heaven. But until then, you need his grace. The enemy wants you wrapped up in your behavior. He wants you thinking that your behavior, come on guys, I have lived at points in my life where my behavior was so horrible, I was convinced that God wanted nothing to do with me. I would sit in a service on a Sunday morning and I would look at my hands and know how filthy they were. And I'm like, God doesn't want to see me. He doesn't want to hear my worship. And it was through experience with God, listen, when I deserved it the least, (laughs) when I deserved it the least, and God would reveal himself to me, and he would speak to me, and he would affirm me, because you're right. Listen, I have two kids. You've got kids. My kids' behavior, does it affect my mood from time to time? Sure. Does it affect the fact that they're my kids? Never. 
Does it affect how much I love them? Never. Does it affect how much that, that I, I, am, I am there for them no matter what? Forever. They're my kids. And how much more does your heavenly father love you? How much more? Now, is your behavior important? Absolutely. Because if obedience opens doors, watch this. Here's the second reason I mentioned that I would remember and I just remembered. If obedience opens heaven, disobedience closes it. So the enemy wants you in a place of disobedience so that the doors that God wants to open for you in your life can open because God is waiting for you to step into obedience so that he can release the favor upon you, so that he can pull the trigger to release that greatness in your life. Obedience opens heaven. Disobedience closes it. And it's so important that we come to this place of realizing that, that, that these temptations, come on, temptation could be anything from something that's, that you would consider horrible sin to chocolate cake or a second portion. I mean, one of the greatest uh, sins in America is gluttony. And I'm not pointing any fingers because I'm feeling a little fluffy right about now, right? But, but we have this, we, we have, there are things that we do, and so many of our, my understanding from research I've done is that 70% of the diseases in, that we deal with in America are diet related. And if we could learn how to obey God with what we put in our mouth, we might actually have open doors for our health at a higher level, Okay. Simple things doesn't have to be something that's gross sin. It can be something that is just common sense where God is trying to get us to live at a higher level. But let me help you with this too, is that there are people that have lived in absolute gross sin their entire lives and have an experience with Jesus Christ and heaven opens for them. I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what's going on, but somebody here may be in a place where you think that maybe the enemy has tricked you to thinking it's too late for you. You're too far down the road. There's no hope for you. Listen, Jesus hung on a cross between two thieves and one of them in his last breath said, Jesus, will you please remember me in paradise? And Jesus looks over to him right before he dies and says, today you'll be with me in paradise in front of my father. Come on, guys. It's never too late. It's never too late. I'm going to give you a term that, I, as far as I know, I made it up. Uh, but if you already knew it, then that's cool. But, but I, call, I call this holy disassociation. Holy disassociation. It fits to the principle that you are not your sin. The Apostle Paul in the book of Romans began to talk about his own personal struggle. I love that Paul was so transparent um, in religious uh, cultures and, and, and institutions, one of the things that has sickened me the most I mean, and has provoked me to be different is looking at people and seeing people on a stage that come across so holy. And I sit out in the audience, I look at them and I say, I could never be that good. Look, you're, you don't have a guy in front of you that's like that. <laughs> you can be way better than me, I promise. <laughs> okay. Uh, but I want you to understand that throughout history, throughout culture, religious people have taken a position of hierarchy and not had any transparency into their own lives. And it's a, it's a major detriment to the move of God because people are just people. And if we put people on a pedestal, when they fall, it's devastating to us. Please don't put me on a pedestal. Please, this stage is way too tall for me as it is, okay? I'm just glad I can see everybody for once in my life. 
But don't put me on a pedestal, guys, because I am flawed. I'm a human being. I need Jesus more, as much, if not more, than each and every one of you. And that's the type of leader Paul was in the Bible. Paul said, I'm the chiefest of sinners. This is the Apostle Paul, the most influential human besides Jesus Christ for the cause of Christ in the world. I'm the chiefest of sinners. And in Romans chapter 7, he opens up for us part of his own life. And he says, there's a war going on inside of me. And the things I long to do, I can't do. And the things I hate, I keep doing. And then he says this phrase. This phrase is found in Romans chapter 7, verse 20. This is the New Living Translation. He says, but, I, but if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. Watch this. It is sin living in me that does it. Paul, watch this. Paul created a, disis- a disassociation, a separation, a division between his human fallen sin nature and his true spiritual identity as a son of God. Listen, your sin nature, your flesh, does not get to go to heaven. Your spirit and soul are what will live in heaven eternally. You get a brand new body, no more, no more sin body, no more flesh body. You get a brand new glorified body that has no cravings for sin. Paul said, this body that I live in craves these things, and I've learned that when I fall into these things, it's not actually me. It's the sin nature in me, and I disassociate from that because for me to understand the true me, guys, this is such a monumental place for somebody in this room. When I came to this place of understanding that when I would fall, that's not the real me. Satan wants to convince you that's the real you. See, I knew you weren't a Christian. See, look how bad you are. See, who do you think you are that you could go serve in this ministry or do that? See, you're just a disgust. He wants to convince you that a temporary slip up or even a cycle of slip ups is who you really Really are, and it's not true. You are not your sin. The true you is the you that loves God, that wants to serve God, that wants to do right, that wants to please Him, that wants to obey Him, that wants to step out. That's the true you, the spirit you that craves for Him, that longs for, for Him. That's the true you. And you've got to disassociate from that guy. That's not me. Come on, that, that statement alone. The next time you're tempted, that's not me. The next time the enemy tries to lead you, that's not me. That's not who I am. Well, you just did it yesterday. Yeah, but that's not me anymore. I confess my sins and my father is faithful to forgive me my sins. I'm a new creation. That's not me. That's not who I am. Come on, the enemy wants to label you. He wants to put a redefinition on you. And we as the people of God have to stand up and know that our identity is that we are the sons and daughters of God. And when we obey him, it opens heaven. Amen? Let me give you some very practical things, practical steps to obey in, practical ways to obey heaven, or to obey God and open heaven. Number one is in your habits. Your habits. We need to create holy habits. I have habits that need to be broken. Anybody else? Okay? When we obey God with our habits, when we disassociate that bad habit, that's not me. I'm creating a brand new habit. And just for the record, you can't just stop doing something. You have to start doing something else. You replace habits. It's a scientific fact. You replace habits. You don't just stop something bad. Okay? You okay with that? Okay? 
Find something new for your time. <laughs> find a new way to use your time and a new, a new positive habit, all right? Start something new. Number two, obey in relationships. If you have relationships, guys, I can't tell you how many times the Bible talks about human beings and calls them gates. And you can be in a wrong relationship and it will open a gate of hell in your life. You could be in a wrong business relationship and it'll open a gate of hell in your life. You need to make sure that you are in the right relationship. Obey God. If you've got friends that when you hang out with them, you can't live for Jesus, you need to change that relationship because your eternal relationship is more important than hurting some little buddy's feeling, right? So obey in relationships. Next one, obey in giving. No amens? No amens there? Obey in your giving. You need to be obedient in your giving. If you feel on the inside that, you know what, I should do this. I should give this. I should worship like this. I should help this. Obey in your giving. Generosity is one of the greatest ways that you prove that you are a son of God or a daughter of God. Because generosity is the very nature of God himself. It's the expression of love, and God is love. So be generous in your giving. Not just in church. Yes, be generous in church. Because we're doing an amazing work for people, and we're going to do something incredible in this entire region that's going to change lives and souls will be saved and we're going to populate heaven in a massive way. So yes, but bigger than that, the people that you run into your life, generous uh, all, through, all, all throughout your world, all throughout your life, be the most generous person. And when you go to a restaurant, tip well. And if you don't, don't tell them you're my friend and don't tell them you go to Oaks Church. I have friends in the, in the restaurant industry that hate Sundays. Hate Sundays. Because a bunch of Christians come in and they're cheap. And they complain about everything. And then they leave crappy tips. I just said crappy. Sorry about that. <laughs> Could have been worse. <laughs> come on, don't be that guy. Don't be that. That is not an expression of Jesus. Listen, if someone gives you bad service, give them a bigger tip and write them a note of a prayer. I, I, I noticed you're a little distracted today. You're probably having a bad day. I'm just going to write this prayer for you. Leave it on the table with a great tip and tell them that you go to Oaks Church. Tell them that you're a servant of God. But don't give a cruddy tip and represent God because that's not how God is. God gives what we don't deserve. Amen. Amen. So obey and giving actually was good then, right? Okay, it started off rough. Started off a little rough. Obey in serving. Obey in serving. How you serve people. Can I tell you, there, there are a couple things, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw Taylor, Taylor a curveball here. Um, I know number one, the number one thing that we need, and the reason I'm throwing you a curveball is because people are going to come find uh, the beautiful lady in zebra attire after service, all right? Um, so, but the number one thing we need, we are at about 35% capacity for what we need in children's ministry. And what that means is the people that are serving our kids and taking care of our kids don't get to come to church because they have to serve almost every single week. And, and so we, we're blessed, 
and, and we're having a great time, and we're hooping and hawing and having a wonderful whatever, but we need to at least double, if not triple, the number of people so that our children's volunteers can serve once to twice a month. The goal is to have it every third week they serve. So you get one week on, two weeks in, in service, one week on, that type of a deal, and it's fair, and it's fun, and it's easy on people, and doesn't it doesn't wear people down. Our, our, our children's pastor, Stephen, so far, nine, well, since we started our, our services, kids ministry, the last four or five weeks, he hasn't got to come into service yet. He's missed every service because we don't have a big enough team to help with kids ministry yet. So that's our number one need. Number two need is if, you, if you're just a killer administrator, we could really use some administrative help right now with data entry and different things like that. Taylor could really use, Stephen could really use some, some administrative help. Those are two really big things that you could make a massive difference by giving or being obedient in your serving. If you have that type of a gift, we absolutely need your help. And I'm sure Taylor will be happy to talk with you in the lobby after service. Just uh, go look for her and find her. Is that okay? I know I threw that at you, but you know, I'm, you're, you're quick on your feet. We'll take care of it. Uh, the last thing, or I'm sorry, there's two more things. Number, number, number uh, I guess that's five. I didn't number them. But obey in gathering. Obey in gathering. Be the type of person that draws people in. Obey. That's the whole picture of this is that Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. We need to be incredible inviters. They were drawing people in. This needs to be one of the most friendly churches you could ever imagine where people are like, hey, you want to go to lunch? Hey, you want to be a part of this? Hey, I'm on this team. Want to come hang with us? The biggest thing you can do is gather people in and all through your neighborhoods, gathering people in. Hey, have you heard about our new church? It's so exciting. Come be with us. We, I'm starting a new a small group at our house. Come hang out with us. Find a way to gather people in. Our job, our goal is to bring more people into relationship with Jesus Christ and more people into the kingdom of heaven. Amen. And we got to be great gatherers. Last one, number six, I believe. Obey in risk taking. This one I'll have to explain. Obey in risk taking. It's risky to obey God. It's risky to step out when God tells you, hey, I want you to pray for this person. That's scary at times. Well, what if someone sees me? Good. People need to see people praying for each other. That's a great thing, right? There's, there's, this, there's this weird phenomenon. Uh, it's called social elevation. It's a real phenomenon. And elevation is a principle. It was coined by Thomas Jefferson. And he literally said, when people see other people doing good and being generous, it provokes generosity and goodness in them. It's contagious. Your kindness, your giving, your risk to step out and help someone. Step out and say, hey, can I pray for you? Step out. I mean, there's times where I'll be in public and I'll feel like the Lord wants me to go say something to somebody and that's risky. They could reject me. They could make me feel weird. I don't know. It's, it's, I could blow it. But when you step out, come on, some of us are bored in our Christian faith because we just don't take any risks. The, the disciples they were willing to lose everything to follow Jesus. It was a risky endeavor. And we can't live for God and be a chicken. We've got to be bold. The whole idea of the power of the Holy Spirit is the first thing it gives you is boldness. Amen? That you'll be filled with power. You'll be filled with boldness so that you can do the work of God. So obey, obey and being willing to take some risks in life. Some of you are going to have to take some risks uh, in your works. You're going to have to take risks with your career, with your education. God is trying to provoke you to step out and step into something new. And you've got to be willing to take risk because there is no reward without risk. Amen? And God may have you on the precipice of opening something beautiful up for you in your life. And if you're too afraid to step off and let him catch you, you're going to miss out of the best that he has for you in your life. Amen? 
Amen. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for these incredible people called by your name. Father, earlier I mentioned that there may be people here today that feel like they're so far gone, so far separated from God that they don't even know their way back to you. They feel like their sins have gone before their face. Like David wrote in the Psalms 51, my sins are ever before my face. People that maybe the enemy has convinced them, convinced them that it's too late for them convince them to be defined by their sin or defined by the color of their skin. Father, I ask you in Jesus' name that you would heal hearts today and that you would renew souls today and draw people back to you. Father, if there's anybody here today that needs to get right with you, draw them to you right now by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is your moment, young lady. This is your moment, young man, that the Spirit of the living God is calling you back to Him. It's not too late for you. He's going to deal with your sin instantly and forgive you and wash it away. And He's going to give you a brand new identity, a brand new you today. He's defining you as a son of God, as a daughter of God. Just put your faith in Him wherever you are. Pray this prayer with me across the room. Say this. Say, Father, forgive me for my sins, my selfishness, my pride. In Jesus' name, I receive salvation. I make Jesus my Lord. And I believe that he rose from the dead. Today, I am saved. Holy Spirit, come into my life and fill me. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope that this message has blessed your life. And if it has, we want to invite you to sow into what God is doing here at Oaks Church. It's as simple as going to oakschurch.com and hitting the give button. On behalf of Oaks Church, I want to thank you again for listening. God bless.